Um, when I was praying in the prayer room this morning, I felt God just impress on me that he wants to increase fruitfulness today. And sometimes he does that by rebuking the devourer, and sometimes he does that by pruning. And so, I, I mean, maybe he wants to do a little bit of both today, but I just really feel he wants to increase our fruitfulness and get rid of whatever is causing us to not be as fruitful as he would like us to be. We read from Philippians chapter 4 and verses 4 through 9. And as most of you know, I don't like to read scripture and not know what it is saying. I'm a big advocate for looking up words to gain the exact meaning of the scripture so I can really just grasp and understand what it's saying. So I'm going to read this how I would read it, how I would study it out. Starting in verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, means at all times. And it must be important because he says, And again, I say, rejoice. Verse 5, Let your moderation, which means a gentle and patient spirit, be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6, Be careful, which means anxious, for nothing. And nothing means Nothing, not even one, but in everything by prayer or worship and supplication, which is petitions and requests, with thanksgiving, which is gratitude, a grateful language to God as an act of worship. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passes or is superior to all understanding and our intellect shall keep which means watch, guard, and protect your heart, your feelings, and your emotions, and your mind, which is your perception and your purpose, through Christ Jesus. Finally, which means besides doing all that, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Verse 9, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. So there's four things that they're to do here. They're learning, they're receiving, they're hearing, and they're watching Paul. Do those things, which means perform them repeatedly or habitually. And the God of peace shall be with you. So um, the word careful in what verse, what, verse 6 means anxious. And it means, it says, do not be anxious about anything. Be careful for nothing. And nothing means not even one thing. Does, it means nothing. Don't worry about anything. Notice it doesn't say don't worry about anything Unless it has to do with one of your children, then it's okay. You can worry a little bit. Or don't be anxious about anything unless you're having financial struggles. Then you can feel anxious. No, it says nothing, not even one thing. And anxiety is running rampant in our world today. And unfortunately has a way of creeping into the church and into the body of Christ. And this should not be the case. 
This scripture that we just read gives us a plan and an outline for God's, of God's way of dealing with anxiety. And so we're going to just dig into that plan for a little bit this morning. And I want to talk about God's antidote for anxiety. Can we just lift up our hands and pray? Let God speak to us this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to gather together with your people and hear your word. God, I ask for your anointing to be in this house. I pray your word would find good ground. I pray, Lord, that it would take root and grow and bring forth much fruit. God, increase our fruitfulness today. Let your word do a great work in our minds. In the name of Jesus, I pray. I don't know how you feel about Kindle or e-books, if you like them or if you'd rather have a real, actual book in your hand. I like a little bit of both. I enjoy holding a physical copy of a book and reading it and smelling it if it's old. That's a trait I inherited from my mother. Um, but I do enjoy the convenience of an electronic book, mostly when traveling. I love the fact that when I travel, I can have all kinds of books to read and not have to lug all kinds of books around. And my American side of me loves the fact that when I want to read a new book, I can download it immediately and read it right away and I don't have to wait. But my favorite thing about ebooks is the highlight feature. I can, when I'm done reading the book and I've highlighted all the things that really stood out to me, I can pull the book up, click a button, and it just pulls up all my highlights. And I don't have to like go searching through the whole book to find the parts that I really like. I can just read through my highlights. So since the invention of ebooks, you can now track and monitor what people are reading. Before that, they'd have like the New York Times bestseller list, and they'd track how many books were being sold. But you don't really know if people are just buying the books and putting them on their shelf or actually reading them. So now that you have ebooks, you can track if people are actually reading them, and you can track the parts of the book that they're interacting with the most. So the Bible, with putting all the translations of the Bible together, is um, hands down the most downloaded book in the world. The most highlighted verse in the electronic Bible is Philippians 4, 6. You would think maybe John 3, 16, uh, Romans 8, 28, Philippians 4.13, those are like the go-to scriptures. But it's the verse about peace that is the most highlighted. And it kind of gives you some insight that people are very anxious and people are looking for peace. Before my children were born, I worked as a nurse in a clinic. And the amount of people that we saw that were on anti-anxiety medication was very disturbing. And even more disturbing was the amount of children who were being prescribed these medications. As young as nine years old, I remember. So it's obvious that our world has a problem with anxiety. But it's most concerning when there's high levels of anxiety in the church. And sometimes I think it's just one of those things that gets you know, brushed under the rug. We don't want to talk about it. Or we just think it's a normal part of life. It's not a big problem, but God has called his church to peace, so therefore anxiety has no place in his body, and it keeps us from walking as God has designed us to walk, which is in peace, so that, then anxiety is a serious problem. Anxiety defined is distress or uneasiness of mind, 
caused by fear of danger or misfortune. Notice that it doesn't say it's caused from danger or misfortune. It's caused from the fear of danger and misfortune. So there isn't even danger or misfortune present sometimes. Anxiety really comes from losing control or losing our perceived control because we're never really in control. We can feel great, we can feel fine, as long as we have this mentality of perceived control. But as soon as something happens where we feel out of control, anxiety comes rushing in. And basically, just to break it down and expose it for what it is, it's a desire for control. It's a panic or a restless uneasiness of your mind when there is a lack of control and things are not going the way you think they should go. And we feel helpless to do anything about it. And humanity does not like to feel helpless. Really, it's a lack of trust in God. Now, I'm not saying that there are, uh, if you ever have moments of anxiety here and there, that you don't trust God. I mean, sometimes life throws curveballs at us. We go through big changes. Any, any big change, like a new job, um, having a, a child, moving, health issues, those things can cause moments of anxiety, moments of worry. But if the anxiety continues, if it's ongoing, and it continues to persist, then maybe it's time to check your level of faith and your level of trust in God. To shed a little bit more light on it, both the desire for control and the lack of trust stem from pride. Which as I'm continually learning, almost everything negative has its roots in pride. It's the ultimate sin in which Lucifer got kicked out of heaven and pride can disguise itself in many forms. That's because Satan's only real weapon is deception. He is good at disguising things into forms that look harmless. It's not giving glory to Satan to say that he's good at deception. I know we like to talk about him like he's so stupid and ignorant, and ultimately he is stupid for fighting against God. But he's not stupid in the fact that he knows how humanity works, and he knows how to deceive humanity. And the Bible tells us we cannot give place to him, and we cannot be ignorant of his devices. We have to know the way he fights, and we have to expose his deceptions for what they are. So pride. It's really good at disguising itself in different forms. Usually we think of pride, we think of that loud, boasting, arrogant, self-promoting spirit. And that's definitely pride. The other side of pride is silent. At least when things are going your way, it's silent. It's the other face of pride and it's self-preserving. It looks like constantly protecting yourself. It looks like a death grip on your life, on your future, on your reputation. A stubbornness that refuses to take the grip off of our life and fully trust God to care for us and to lead us. Stubbornness is a silent form of pride. And it has control. It has to have control. It can lie dormant but really comes to life when things are seemingly out of your control. You find out who you really are when your life gets shaken a little bit. You find out what foundation you're building on real quick when it starts to shake. And this is when we start to experience the feeling of anxiety. 
Because you were never meant to control every aspect of your life. That is not the way God designed us. Therefore, whenever we get outside of God's designed order for things, we are automatically going to experience anxiety. And that's exactly how we need to view anxiety. Not as something that's normal, not something that we just push out of the way. The church of God should view anxiety as a signal. Something is out of order. Kind of like you want a candy bar from a vending machine, and it says, out of order. That's what anxiety is. should cause us to stop, step back, throw our hands up and say, what, what's out of order here? What am I trying to control? What am I being stubborn about? Am I out of alignment with God's plan? It should be a signal to us. The enemy will deceive us and, and think, he'll get us to thinking that we uh, are supposed to be in control. And that if things go spiraling out of a control, then it's our fault. We need to do something. Or that if we totally let God run our life, he's going to make us do all kinds of things we don't want to do. Or he's going to send us somewhere we don't want to go. Or he's never going to let us have fun and enjoy life anymore. We're going to have a boring spiritual life. And then we start to experience anxiety from our refusal to let go of our life. And anxiety is only really a symptom. It's the thing that shows up on the surface when the real root of the problem is a self-preserving spirit that wants control. If we do not surrender control to God, we cannot experience his peace. There is no peace where God does not reign. If there are portions of my life I have not given to him, then there will be no peace in that area of my life. Matthew 16 and 25 says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. That word save means protect or preserve. Now, I don't think this is something that we do intentionally. We would never say, God, I don't trust you with my life. You really don't know what you're doing, God. I think I'm going to handle this one on my own. We don't do that intentionally. I think we want to trust God, but it's our human nature and our flesh that gets in the way. And our adversary uses the channel of our flesh to get to our spirit. That's why it's so important to close up that channel and make it as small as possible by submitting our flesh to the Holy Ghost. It really doesn't take much to build a stronghold. If you're not being vigilant about watching, guarding, and praying, then it's pretty easy for a stronghold to be set up in your mind and for you to not even know it's there. Sometimes we think a stronghold is like this dark, scary place. It's like a dark, damp castle and there's demons lurking around. That's not it at all. It's a few deceptions that get in your head. A few fears, you accept them as truth. You begin listening to them and living by them. And before long, you've established a habit or a way of thinking, acting, and living, which is contrary to the way God designed it, and therefore it becomes a barrier. And then he can't get in, and we don't allow him access. That's a stronghold in your mind. And it keeps you in bondage from the things that God has for you. 
I like what Brendan said last week, um, that we need to form habits that build faith. We can't just accept anxiety as a normal way of life, as a normal way of thinking, because it's a symptom of a greater problem. Just because a lot of people deal with it does not mean it's normal. It's a symptom of a greater problem and of an area that we have closed God off and taken the reins into our own hands. God is the author of your story and of my story, but we are really good at trying to grab that pen out of his hand and write the story ourselves. And he'll let you do it because he won't force himself on you, but you'll do it at the expense of peace guarding your heart and your mind. Going over verse 9 of Philippians 4. There are some things required of us in order to experience the perfect peace of God. God's peace doesn't always just fall on us. Now, sometimes it does, and I've experienced those moments, and I am thankful for them. But the majority of the time, I have got my crazy mind to deal with, and I need to submit to the power of the Holy Ghost before I can experience peace. Look what Paul says in verse 9. It says, those things which you've both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. He's saying, look, you got to do some things that you've learned. you got to do some things that you've received. The things that you've heard, you got to do those things. And the things you've seen me do, your spiritual leader, you got to do those things. And then when you do those four things, then the God of peace will be with you. So there are, there's loads of peace available, loads of peace. But we've got to learn to walk the path that God has laid out for us in order to receive it. we got to form those faith-building habits in our life. So there's three antidotes. They all kind of tie together, but the first one is repentance. If you've been around the church for a while, I found it's easy to just view repentance as a means for salvation. And yes, you cannot be saved without repentance. It is an incredibly important part of the born-again process. It's the prerequisite for both receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost and the baptism, getting baptized in Jesus' name. And after we've been born again, we should continue to repent daily to make sure our lives are clean and that we're walking according to God's ways. But it's easy to get into a rut with something you do daily. And it's easy to just make repentance an obligation. Just something I have to do if I want to be saved. Or it can be easy to approach it with fear. Like I've got to get rid of any sin so that God will accept me and use me. And those things are not terribly wrong. They just limit the power of repentance. And they cause us to forget that repentance is a gift. It's the loving kindness of God coming to me on an intimate, personal level. It's not something that I have to do. It's something I get to do. So it's really helpful to stop viewing repentance as a means of getting rid of stuff all the time. It is a means of getting rid of stuff, but that's not the only way we need to view it. 
Brother um, Eli Hernandez said that repentance isn't always about getting rid of stuff. Especially if you've been in the church for a while. You're not out there doing all kinds of sins. It's about unlocking things. It's about humbling yourself so that you can get to deeper places in God. The more humility I have actively working in my life, the greater God can use me. So not just getting rid of stuff, but unlocking some things. So the first antidote is repentance. Repenting for my desire to control everything. For protecting myself, my reputation, and not losing my life for the kingdom. Repenting for wanting my way and not God's way. And that directly ties into the second antidote, which is humility. I found the more that I work on humbling myself, the more areas of my life I find that I need to humble myself. The more areas that I surrender control, the more areas I find I need to surrender control. So for those of you who like to just check things off of a list, you can't check this off, ever. It's a daily process, sometimes more than a daily process. You're never going to reach some pinnacle where you have achieved humility. And the minute you think you have it is the minute you think you just ruined it all. You have to start over. Humility is casting your care on God and not carrying it around all day, thinking you've got to figure it out or handle it. It's the supplication part of Philippians 4 and 6. It's bringing our needs before him. Not because we want him to do this, do that, how we think. Usually I tell God, you know, you need to do this like because I think that's the way it needs to go. No, it's saying I cast my needs on you right now because I don't know the answers. I surrender control to you in every area of my life. I'm casting. That word cast literally means to just throw it. Throw it on God. I cast my emotions on you. My family is on you. My children are on you. I give you my finances, my dreams, my desires, my marriage, everything I am, everything I hope to be, all of my thoughts. I just throw them on you, God. I cast them on you right now. Not because I have to, but because I freely and willingly want you to have control of my life. Another thing that Brother Hernandez said that was so good is that humility is a meek and quiet spirit. It's a quiet place. So if you have all kinds of voices screaming at you in your head, that's an indicator you're not walking in humility. The third antidote is worship. True worship is another act of humility. It puts God in his proper place, up here. And then it puts us in our proper place, which is down here. Philippians 4, 6. Be careful, anxious for nothing, not even one thing. But in everything, by prayer, worship, and supplication, petitions and requests, and thanksgiving, which is a grateful language to God, as an act of worship. Let your requests be made known unto God. 
When you learn to worship God in the midst of chaos and in the midst of problems, your life will be changed. And I'm not talking about a cute little, thank you, Jesus, you're so good. I'm talking about truly throwing yourself into worshiping him and thanking him. I'm talking about raising your voice louder than the voice that is, of anxiety that is screaming in your head. It will absolutely change your life because it puts things in proper order. And when things get put in proper order, the order God has established and the order God has set up, then he is free to work in our life and our situation. But if you don't put him in his proper place on the throne in your life, he's not going to force himself there. He waits for you to put him there. Giving yourself to worship with a thankful and grateful spirit will release God to work miracles in your life. I absolutely believe we limit God's power in our lives by withholding our worship. So let's go over verses 6 and 7 again. Be careful, anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, repent and supplication, surrender with thanksgiving, worship, let your requests be made known to God. Repent, surrender, and worship. Repent, surrender, and worship. And then verse 7, and now... The peace of God, which passes, is superior to all our intellect, all our understanding, shall keep watch and guard your heart, your emotions, your feelings, your mind, your perception, your purpose through Christ Jesus. Let's raise our hands right now. I feel the Holy Ghost. Lord, I love you, Lord. I thank you for your peace, God. I surrender to you and to your plan. God, I freely give you my worship right now because I need your peace guarding my mind. I need your peace guarding my heart, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And when you get these things actively and daily working in your life, Repentance, surrender, and worship. Prayer, repentance, supplication, surrender, casting your cares, thanksgiving, and worship. Then the peace of God will come. But there's surrendering and worshiping that needs to occur first. If you're not experiencing peace in some areas of your life, then throw yourself into worship, surrender, and thanksgiving. Until God is in control of all of those areas, because wherever he reigns, there's peace, because he's the prince of peace. If you're struggling with this, this is something that needs to happen more than one time a day. At least for me, I know I can pray, cast all my cares on him in the morning, and by lunchtime, I pick them up again. And I start going nuts again, and I've got to stop and give God some worship. I've got to stop and throw those cares on him again until the peace is back, guarding my heart and mind. You just do it as much as necessary. You make it a habit. You make it a lifestyle. And if you want to get real practical, put a timer on your phone every three hours. Repent, surrender, worship every three hours until it becomes a habit. 
So as I wrap this up, I just want to share my personal experience in this. Because this lesson was born in the trenches. A few years back, I was going through a season where I was experiencing so much anxiety, I couldn't even think straight. And it was a Sunday after church, it was in the evening. I was at home and I just, I was being overcome with anxiety. And, and I felt like that's it, like I can't take this anymore. I need to just do something, something different, something weird, I don't care. So I took out a piece of paper and I wrote down everything that was weighing down on my mind, every care I could think of, every, just every thought that was causing me problems and weighing on me. And it was extensive, <laughs> kind of embarrassing how extensive it was. But I took that piece of paper to the church and I laid it on the altar. And I started praying, saying, God, I cannot carry this around anymore. This is my act of giving it to you. And as I was praying in my mind, I saw this rushing river. And it was during this season of life that God had really just been talking to me in, in rivers and water. And I've been praying a lot about the rivers of living water and the Holy Ghost and praying for that to be in my life. And so when I saw this river, I thought, immediately I thought, oh, this is the river of the Holy Ghost, the flowing river of life. But then I looked at it closer and I saw that it was dark. It was almost black. And it was not just rushing and flowing nicely, but it was raging. And it had all those, like, you know, those little whirlpools that rivers had. It had all those all in it. And I felt God speak into my spirit and say, this is not the river of my spirit that I want you to flow in. This is the river of your anxiety that you have let control your life. And then it's like I had this just snapshot, quick snapshot overview of my entire life, like just key moments in my life. And under every moment was that raging river underneath the surface of my entire life just ready to pour in if something wasn't going my way or there was some significant change, that river would just take over. And then the scene changed, and, and the Lord showed me the raging sea and the stormy clouds and an image of Peter climbing out of the boat to walk on the water. And he's walking above all the chaos and the storm and the craziness when he's looking at Jesus. But then I saw him look down. And all the chaos and the storm and the craziness in it was that raging water. And when he looked down, I saw the water that he was on. And the water that he was on and the water that was in my life, they were like merged together. They were like the same thing. And God spoke and said, you have a choice. You can either worry or you can worship. And that was it. And I realized I have a choice with this. This isn't something that's overcoming me. I'm letting it overcome me. I have a choice that anxiety is not just part of life. It's not just something that I have to deal with when life gets hard. I have a choice and I choose the river of the Holy Ghost over that raging river of anxiety. And I choose to stop feeding that raging river of anxiety. My choice is worship. You have a choice. It's either worry or worship. It's either control or surrender. It's either pride or humility. 
You've been praying for peace. You've been frustrated that it hasn't come like you thought it would. Put these antidotes into action. Repentance. It's going to come through repentance. It's going to come through surrender. It's going to come through worship. It's going to come when we make the effort to choose worship instead of worry. And it's going to come when you choose to take the pen and put it back in the author's hand where it belongs and let him write your story. Why don't we just give him worship right now? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, I give you control. I give you control, Lord. I am not in control. I don't want to be in control, Lord. You're the Prince of Peace, Lord. You're the author and the finisher of my faith, Jesus. You write my story, God. You can write my story however you want to write it, Jesus. You can write whatever you want to write, God. I give you the control. I give you the pen, Jesus. I surrender to you, Lord. Lord, I pray your peace would follow this house, God. I pray your peace would follow and guard our minds, Lord, our emotions, our troubled emotions, our troubled feelings, Jesus. Let your peace descend in this place as we give our worship to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I encourage you this week to put these things into action because sometimes the enemy would like us to feel like we are helpless and we're out of control, like it's our fault everything's out of control and, and there's nothing you can do about it. And there, that's a lie. There is something you can do about it. And God clearly lines it out in his word. And so you put these things into practice and the peace of God, you will be astounded and nothing in your situation will have changed, but your mind will have changed. It, it will, it, it will, you'll be astounded the power that the peace of God can bring you.